Welcome to the Pitching Nerd Show, where we get nerdy about the art of pitching. I'm your host, Sean Kitzman, aka The Pitching Nerd. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, Pitching Nerd crew? I am super, super, super excited to have on my guest, Kyle Bennett from Diamond Kinetics. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, it's this killer ball right here. Uh, I'm, I, one of my clients, there you go. One of my clients, uh, Gabe Pilla, picked up the ball about a month ago, and we've been playing around with it, and I've been super, super impressed with what we've been able to figure out with it. Um, Kyle, talk to me a little bit about Diamond Kinetics. How did it start, and you know, what are you doing with it, and you know, just kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely. First, Sean, thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, we love doing this stuff, love getting out and uh, you know, educating the, the baseball and softball communities on, on the technology that we produce and uh, obviously provide to, uh, to both baseball and softball side. But uh, a, a quick background on DK. Uh, the company was formed in 2013 um, and was actually co-founded by our, our CEO, CJ Handren, and our other co-founder, Buddy Clark, who is actually a, a mechanical engineer uh, professor at, at the University of Pittsburgh. So, cool, man. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, tech savvy people coming together at the very beginning. Um, the, the initial idea obviously started on, on the, uh, on the hitting side with our, with our swing tracker yeah. bat sensor. And, uh, you know, what, what had happened is, is parents used to go to buddy when he coached his son and daughter in Little League. both played uh, division one, uh, baseball and softball respectively. Sure. And, sure. uh, you know, they always went to him and said, Hey, you know, buddy, how, is my kid swinging the right size bat? Is he is he doing things right? Is this the right bat for him? And and you know he kind of took it upon himself to figure that information out. He's like, look, I, I have the science, I have the data, I have the information, I can solve this. Sure. And so he kind of set out to to basically fit bats for for young players. Sure. Um, and that kind of spawned into our swing tracker bat sensor. Um, it has evolved over time. It used to be the the very original one used to be a little box that actually sat on the handle of the bat above your hands and, and measured things. So it was a really clunky device, sure. um, but it was doing what it was supposed to do. It was helping players understand what size bat would be right for them, things like that. And then as you know, CJ, our CEO, got involved, he started working with Buddy on this, and they took it to a whole new level, mm -hmm. right? And they started to analyze the swing and start started to you know derive metrics that would that would produce quality hitters and, mm -hmm. and evaluate you know the ability of the hitter, and so that's what spawned Swing Tracker. And so uh, Swing Tracker has been in the market since 2015, and uh, you know 2018 was actually the launch of Pitch Tracker. And so my first day with the company uh, was March 5th, 2018. That was the first day this ball was available. So, so I, what did I, you I, what did you do before you were here? Uh, before Diamond Kinetics, I was actually in staffing. Um, I, I, there was a weird transition, so I, I did two years of staffing. I went back to get my master's degree um, and realized that that bill was coming due, so I needed to pay for that somehow. Um, so I, you know, I was like, hey, I got to get a job. I got to do something. Before that, prior to doing staffing for two years, I was actually a pitching coach and recruiting coordinator for uh, for Gavilan College in uh, Northern California. Okay, cool. Um, and so I was there for seven years. Uh, had a great run with them. Uh, was was proud of my abilities. Had had three pitchers of the year in, wow. in six years of being there. Um, was had Northern California Player of the Year. You know, had had a lot of accolades while I was there, which was great. And I loved my time there, but it wasn't going to pay for my math. Sure. So uh, had to step away. Took a job in recruiting, and then um, was was sitting in my office. Swear, real story. Was sitting in my office. <laughs> And I uh, was looking at the job boards, working, working, decided to pop into the baseball side, did a search on Indeed, and boom, there popped up Diamond Kinetics. Had never heard of them before. California kid myself, you know, East Coast company, had no idea who they were. I started doing my homework, submitted my resume. Um, long story short, went around for a few months and finally uh, was accepted and hired. So... Um, I had on the, uh, one of the athletic trainers from the Brewers, he's on episode three. And one of the things that I really hope kids listen to in your story is that, look, every kid has the dream of going to the show, right? But we know that the, the chance of them getting to the show is, is there's a lot of factors that go into it. Also, there are a ton of ways to stay in baseball 
that are not getting to the show and make a decent living, stay involved in the sport that you love. And just like getting to the show, it's not a very linear path. You know, I mean, for for the 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 elite of the elite, it's just like this very linear path to get to the show. For everybody yep. else, it's kind of like that that you know that that uh, post that you see on Facebook or Instagram every once in a while. You know what everybody thinks success is and what it actually looks like is you know just a biggest squiggle. So, yeah. So that's really cool that you were able to you know you were a pitching coach, you loved it, kind of was trying to figure out what you were else you were going to do with your life and wanted to get the master's degree and you know, kind of punted and got a, got a nine to five a little bit. Right. Yeah. Probably sucked. Um, and then you don't have to say that I will. Um, so, and then you found yourself into this, into this thing here and with, you know, a, still a relatively newer startup company. So pretty cool story, man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it kind of ties into what you were saying about, you know, Hey, that linear path, the MLB. So me, me as a player growing up and when I was you know younger, going into high school, into college, that was my dream. My For dream sure. was to play professional baseball. You know, and I, I was I was a, a decent player in high school. I obviously I I, I went the JUCO route, loved it. I'm I'm a big proponent of the JC For route. Sure. I think it's you know there's an article that just came out or a, a podcast quote from Dallas Braden and and it, you know, one of the things I used to say was it's a stepping stone to where you want to get. And yeah. Dallas took it a step further and it's and he said it's a launching pad to where you want to get. And, and, and I love that verbiage. I love that adage. You know, it, it is. It's, it's a way to get your foot in the door into college and then explode from there and get to the avenues you want to get to. So for me, you know, going junior college and then getting into four-year school, I played at Western Oregon, a top 25 Division II program every year, um, and, and, and thought I was on the right track. Injuries derailed some of that stuff. I ended up not, not ended up getting drafted, none of that. So then what was my next avenue, right? What was the next thing that I could do to stay involved with the game to still be a part of it because my playing days were done. Sure. And that's kind of, that's where coaching took me, right? Sure. It took me into, into the junior college route where I, I developed as a pitching coach, a recruiting coordinator there, uh, took a program that was six and six and 28, uh, our first season and one, one conference in five years. Wow. So, um, you know, it was, it was a long road. We should have done it in three, ended up taking five, but we, we took a program that was perennially at the bottom and took it to the top. So, you know, I still had the ability to to get in and be involved in baseball some way, somehow. Obviously, schooling and some other factors took me out of baseball for mm-hmm. a couple of years. Um, like you said, it did suck. It was not ideal for me. Uh, and I was like, look, I need to get back into baseball. Um, how am I going to make money, pay for my education, and still be involved in the sport I love? Yeah. Here, here's Diamond Connects. What, what were you going to for, what was your master's? What were you going to grad school for? So, so I finished my master's. Uh, it's a master's in science of sports management with mm-hmm. a focus in coaching theory and leadership. Yeah, very so, cool. So the, the reason for the master's was to be able to coach at a junior college in California. For sure. Um, the coaching position at a junior college is, is more of a teaching position. Yeah. Um, and the master's is required. So yeah. that's what I was going back to school for. Um, I have it. And I, you know, now that I have it, I look back at it, and it applies so much to my everyday life now sure. with the job and in the sure. position I have with DK than I ever thought it would have before. You know, initially I, I got it or I was getting it to coach, right? I wanted to coach, I wanted to teach at the junior college level, but so many things that I've done with it now still apply in daily life for me today as as a, a rep for DK. Dude, that is so cool. I mean. Again, you know, there's so many factors that you can find yourself in that a lot of people don't think about. And of course, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, so I'm 44 and I grew up in a really small community in Michigan. And when people would ask me what I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to play for the Yankees. You know, like I wanted to play pro ball and everybody would tell you, oh, you know, there's you're just not going to make it and blah, 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 blah. And if you had not have pursued that path, if you had not went the JUCO route, if you not had pursued your path, and of course, if the other things had happened to you, you know, if the injuries didn't happen, if all the rest of those things didn't happen, because talk about injuries and how good that made you as a coach because you understood things differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and the injury prevention thing was was big for me as a coach because obviously I experienced as a, as a player. Yeah. Right? And it derailed the path that I was on. It it. it really changed things for me and it made me, you know, I had, I had a path. I knew where I was going. I had an idea of what, what it was looking like for me 
athletically, uh, educationally, things like that. Um, and then I had I had Tommy John when I was in uh, junior college. So mm. actually, I, I blew out my elbow in high school. Rehab. They didn't think it was torn. They just thought it was strained. Uh, rehabbed. Um, ended up missing out on scholarships out of high school as sure. a senior. Um, went to junior college. You know, my velocity had dropped. Went back. Started to get it back. And then played one season. Blew it out. Had to have Tommy John on my second season of junior college, which derailed more scholarships that I had in line. I had, I had three or four scholarships that were in line. And then, boom, injury, season over, Tommy John, full year off. But, you know, the, the one thing that I took from that and I learned from that and I took into coaching was how to prevent injury. Sure. Right? Whether that was through, you know, mechanics, whether that was through flexibility, mobility stuff, yep. uh, whether that was through total arm care, not just rehabbing your, your elbow, but yep. rehabbing your entire arm. Yep. Right? And I, I took everything that I learned from those that, that surgery, and then I had a second one when I was at Western to have the nerve moved. Um, oh, but I yeah. took, all, yeah, <laughs> it was not fun. But I took all of that information and applied it to my coaching. And the one thing that I, I can always hang my hat on, aside from the accolades that the players under me received, was the injury prevention. Yeah. I never had in seven seasons, I never had a significant arm injury in our program. Dude, that's super impressive. That's super impressive. And, um, you know, it's hilarious because we've, we've, we've definitely kind of dove in down a little bit of a different rabbit hole, but I think that it's an important rabbit hole to talk about because of, you know, a little bit of my focus and, and, and what I like to do with, with guys and talk about. So, um, Talk about life post post Tommy John. Like everybody thinks it's this. Oh, you know, Joe had Tommy John. It's no big deal, right? I mean, like you had to have a second surgery. You had to have a nerve, a nerve, a nerve moved. That that is no. Yeah, dude. I'm like, I don't know if I can show it. If it's no, I can see it for in. sure, dude. Yeah. yeah. So that that's it, and that's that's two that's two surgeries. So, yeah. um, but post Tommy John, um, for me. I, I'm I'm probably the the abnormality of most. Sure. Um, because when I when I was rehabbing through Tommy John, um, I I had I had an incredible surgeon. She did a great job. Unfortunately, didn't move my nerve, which I would have wished she would have, because I wouldn't have had the second surgery. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, going in and doing the rehab, I I was ahead of the game. I sure. didn't have any setbacks. Nice. I, I was. I was actually on the mound throwing fastballs and changeups in a game at nine months. Wow. And so typically at that time, that was 2004, uh -huh. uh, 2005, I think is when I was back on the mound. Um, but at that time, you know, the, the success rate wasn't the rate it was today. It was better. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't very good at that time. One in every nine pitchers in MLB had had Tommy John at that time. So it was still relatively new. Sure. Um, a, I think it's now one in four. Yeah. <laughs> I get numbers kind of come down a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing that I learned from that was that, you know, if you don't put in the work and invest the time in your body, in your health, in yourself, it's going to reflect in your body on the field when you go to perform, right? And I took that to heart when I first had the surgery. I didn't want to experience this again. I was already missing a full year of baseball. I, got to, I had to go sit on the sidelines and watch all my buddies compete while I'm sitting on the side on the bench, watching it go on and waiting my turn, sure. right? So it was it was a long process. I was fortunate. I, I got back quicker than most. I didn't have any setbacks. Um, but it is a long road. It is not a fun road. It's not just, hey, let's go get Tommy John and see what happens. Avoid it. Go take care of your body. Yeah. Do the things you need to do to help yourself prevent that injury. And if you do that, you'll be just as strong as if you had it redone and you, you come back off it. Like everyone says, right, you gain three to five miles an hour. It's not the surgery that does that. Right. It's the rehab right. and the health and time you put into your body right. to get to that point. That's where the velocity comes. Well, I think that this is a perfect time to talk about what you guys are doing then. Because, like, by the way, for everybody listening, we did not set any of this up. Like, this is just two dudes talking about stuff, right? So we did not yep. – I, I, do, I do no show prep because I want to have organic conversation. And so I think that you – dude, you just, you just set it up perfectly. So, so talk about the ball now and talk about, like, talk about what you, what you would do with the ball, um, you know, uh, the technology of it, but also, like, if you were a pitching coach today or if you were a pitcher coming off of Tommy John or even pre-Tommy John, like, what would you use the ball for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, te I, I tell this story just about to, do, to just about anybody I talk to when it comes to the ball. 
um, in, in, in a coaching aspect, yeah. right? Um, I, when I was a pitching coach, I didn't have access to something like this. Correct. I, when I was a player, I didn't have access to something like this. I didn't know what spin rate was. I mean, we did, but we didn't, right? We talked about it in a different way, right? We talked about how the ball moved through yep. the zone as yep. a hitter. And that's, that was what spin rate was, even though that wasn't the term for it then. Um, you know, we're finding out now that that's how it correlates, right? Well, we, I mean, I, I bet you Gehrig and, you know, Honus Wagner were talking about that, you know, like I, that's, that's always been a conversation. We just have now the technology to clearly define it. Right. Well, in, in, in your example, I mean, prime, prime case, like Walter Johnson, right? Yep. They got on the express, right? Yep. Because when that, when that ball or, you know, the, the tram, whatever, whatever yeah, they yeah. named him, but but the thing was, is they said when he threw the ball, it had a different sound, yep. and it and it, it it like it carried on him. It yep. just it had that second stage life, and it kind of jumped on him. And we we found out from the you know the the movie Fastball or the Netflix thing Fastball yep. that he was only throwing like eighty two at the time. Sure. But you know, in that time with that type of spin on the ball, the things he was creating with his arm whip and things, yep. like that's how he did it, and that's what guys saw. Like, oh man, that thing's humming. It's coming in. Yep. We don't know how to hit it. It's the fastest thing we've ever seen, yep. and it doesn't drop, right? right. Like it just rides. So, um, you know, one of the things as a player for me with the ball is, if I would have had this as a player, it would have changed the the, the trajectory of my performance. Had sure. I known my my pitchability, my spinability on my on my fastball and other pitches. So, when I was playing, I I didn't throw ninety. I topped out at 87, 88 miles an hour. Like, but as a left-handed pitcher in that's, my time, that was good. that was pretty good. Like well, I had shit, a chance, I mean, right? even, a le- even as a lefty today, that's I mean, that's still you're still playable. Right. So so there's there's a chance. Like I'm a fringe guy, right? Yeah. So um the thing was is because I didn't throw 90 miles an hour, I was taught my entire life, you don't throw 90, you don't throw hard enough to beat guys up in the zone. You need to throw two seams away from right-handed batters yeah. and let it run. The problem for me is I had a very high spin rate on my fastball, which I know now I did not know then, right? So those two seams that I'm running flat away mm-hmm. from a right-handed batter, he's hitting those and rolling over and hitting them right through the six hole. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many six hole ground ball hits hmm. I gave up in my career that if I would have thrown a four seam fastball up and in, as opposed to a two seam away, I would have either had a swing and a miss or a pop-up as opposed to a ground ball base hit, right? So, oh my gosh, dude, how crazy is that? And that's, and that's the thing is I, what I've found out over time using our technology and understanding my spin profiles, I have a high spin rate on my fastball, which if I would have known, because I had a really big curveball, I had a big 12-6 or 11-5 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. breaking ball, I would have been able to pair the two together, my four-seam fastball and my 12-6 curveball, and I would have been a more effective pitcher being able to pitch at the top of the zone and the throwing bottom. my breaking ball yeah, yeah. off of it, right? Yeah. Being able to tunnel and sequence those two pitches together yeah. and then throwing my two seam off of it is a different look. Yeah. And then coming back with my changeup if I'm a starter, obviously in, in some of the cases for me as a player, I was a reliever closer. Sure. So like, you know, there were different things. I, I would scrap the changeup had I known that. I would have gone yep. high fastball breaking ball, right? Um, so, and, so understand- and, and not have to rely on that two seam so much. Correct, which is which is what was my, I, I had success with it, but I also failed a lot with yeah. it. And I, I think if I would have gone more of a four seam fastball, let it ride up in the zone, throw my twelve six off of it, I would have had more success, more strikeouts, and less six hole ground ball base hits. Sure. So taking that as a player and being able to translate that over to any player that I work with. Um, that's where our technology comes in. Yeah. And that's where the data and the information that we get from this ball and our app is so valuable to the development of each individual pitcher. Because now, instead of making a cookie-cutter general approach to creating a pitcher, you are now basing it on their pure abilities and then trying to maximize what they already have to make them the best possible product on the field that you can. Yeah, right? And ultimately, you're doing your job... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if I'm doing my job as a pitching coach and making each one of them the best possible version of themselves that they can be, I got a chance to be successful on the field. For sure. Right? And so that's where this comes in, and that's how this plays a part. Because all I knew about beforehand was was 
fastball and changing sidelines, right? Yep. As, as a coach before understanding the data side mm -hmm. of things, right? And it was all everything based on what I had learned, what other coaches had told me, things like that. Now I can quantify this stuff. I can now individualize it to you. So now you understand as a player that I'm working with, that I have your best interests in mind, yep. not just the entire program, right? Yep. I am looking out for you because my job is to make you better, not yep. everyone as a whole, which obviously if I'm doing my job individually, it's going to work out to the greater group. But we want to be able to maximize that particular player without generalizing mechanics, movement, arm pass across the board. Yeah. And the ball allows us to do that. Well, one of the cool things that I that we were playing around with was, you know, uh, the release point. And, um, you know, also like the difference between, you know, uh, and that's that's going to be the difference between a guy having a really long arm, which is obviously going to be detrimental on his mm -hmm. on his elbow. And then a guy who has, you know, you can see the data on it. And and then also, you know, I mean, like, what did they talk about, like with with guys like Randy Johnson and, you know, what, what you want to be able to maximize whatever it is that you have. So, man, if you can have that that just that little farther release point so it gets on top of that guy just a little bit sooner and a little bit later in your delivery, it makes you that much more unpredictable. And maybe that's the difference between, let's say, you know, you're throwing you know, let's say that's a difference between two miles an hour, like that, that, that shorter release point is a little, is a little bit less on the gun, but it doesn't play as well. Right. Yep. And so, so that was one of the things that we started to look at about th two weeks ago was like, Oh, where is that at? And then, and then also mechanically what we did is we started to look at, Oh, okay. So like we were doing separation throws and we started to play around with, you know, well, how far back is the elbow going to be in the separation throw? And then, you know, what's the difference in the release angle and then or the release point also? And then what's the difference on the velo and then the spin rate? I mean, like you can get to be so I mean, for, forgive me for saying this, but you can get so freaking nerdy with it. It's yep. not even funny. And, and when I, I thought it was cool when I saw it, but then. When I was looking at the app and we started monkeying around with it, I was like, oh, dude, like, this is amazing, you know? Because yeah. now, like you said, you can build a pitcher and you can build a pitcher safely. Yep. And, and, that, and, and for me, like, you know, uh, like we were talking about, uh, you know, before we were rolled, I've worked with injuries for 20 years. Uh, you know, um, a major elbow surgery. Like, or a rotator cuff surgery. I was listening to uh, David, well, Bucky Dent has a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And I was listening to him talk to David Wells. You know, post, so David, this is craziness too. I didn't know this about David Wells. Boomer had uh, Tommy John when he was in the Jays system. And then he tore his rotator cuff and labrum and still pitched. Like, how in the hell does that happen? And by the way, Boomer did not take care of himself. Like there, he was no. not the pinnacle of health. He was he was the exact opposite of Nolan and Roger, right? Well, he was hung over on his no hitter. Yeah. All right, come on. Yeah. I, so when I when I lived in Michigan, uh, I worked for the, for a, a pop company, and after I think it was it was '98 after the '98 World Series, I had a Yankee shirt on, and and so I'm a big Yankees fan, and and people in Michigan hate the Yankees. I mean, like we live here in Minnesota, like there's, there's Yankee hate in Minnesota, but I can wear stuff out and not have someone say something to me. Like in Michigan, like if I wore my Yankee hat out and it was baseball season, somebody was saying something about it. So it was the fall and this guy says, well, Hey, just so you know, yeah. that's, that's not just your area. That's, no, that's countrywide. Yeah. But there's, there's differences <laughs> though, too. Like here in Minnesota, like I've, I've been to two, we went to the playoff game here last year and, um, I've been to three Yankee games since we've been here. We've been here for four years. And uh, last year was the first, the, the playoff game was the first time that I actually like caught shit for it. In Detroit. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. In Detroit, like, I, yeah, I, my wife could tell you a story. It's pretty funny. But anyways. So hey, and I, I say, hey, I say that jokingly because the Yankees are one of our, one of our good friends. They're good friends of DK. They're, sure. they're one of our partners. We love them, but. You're right. Hey, outside outside of New York, once you start kind of trickling away from there, there's a lot of Yankees. Yeah. So so this guy uh, says to me, he goes, oh, yeah, nice shirt. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, three in a row, you know, four in the last five, you know. And so I was I just I was just like I just was 
armed with Yankee like swag, right? Just like yeah. just and he's like, oh yeah. He goes, I know. I he goes, I got a buddy that pitches on the Yankees. I was like, you do? He goes, yeah. He goes, I said who? He goes, Boomer. And I was like, what? And this guy was a catcher in the J system. And so ah, okay. he called him up. He calls him up and he goes, hey, I just got traded to the Yankees. Uh, and he goes, what? He goes, yeah. Or he signed. I can't remember what it was. And he goes, I'm going to get number three because obviously he was a big Babe Ruth fan. He goes, he goes there's no way they're going to give you number th- three. He goes, well, yeah. I'm going to get 33. And he goes, dude, you could put 333 across your big ass, right? Like, and yeah. it, was, it was really super funny. But anyways, go on with the uh, go on with the the so so talk a little bit more like kind of let's 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 get into this well, so thing I, a little bit. I wanted I wanted to touch on a point that you brought up and that was the extension numbers, yeah. right? And that's that's the release point getting yeah. us out in front. So um, you know, for the people that are watching this and who who may not know DK or pitch tracker all all that well yet, um, how we measure that is when the player actually comes set. So let's say for example he sets here, mm-hmm. right, center of his body. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to start the measurement from there, and then once the player actually releases the ball downhill out in front, mm-hmm. we then measure there how far downhill the player actually got. And so the extension metric is very very important, at least for me on the pitching side, because it leads to either an increase or a decrease in perceived velocity. For sure. Right. And so for those players that may not have blow away velocity. Yep. It's not, you know, they're not throwing 93, 94 right now as a high school senior. Like if you don't have that, you got to find other ways to offset Harris timing and be, be effective. Yep. Right. And so perceived velocity fits into that model really, really well. A uh, prime example, I had a left-handed arm that I coached, ended up playing at, uh, at a small NAI school down here um, and, and got a scholarship playing, but the kid was six, four, 170, 180 pounds soaking wet. Sure. Stick, stick figure. Yeah. Great kid. Love the kid. Still talk to him today. But uh, um, he, he threw 82, 84 as a left-handed arm. Mm-hmm. The thing that kept him in the game and the thing that allowed him to continue playing was the fact that he had a, an extension measurement of about a foot to a foot and a half longer than the average pitcher. Yeah. Right? And so what that does for every foot of extension that you are over average and average is roughly around six feet at the major league level. Sure. For every foot of extension over average is a gain of perceived velocity of about two to three miles an hour. Oh, man, that's huge. So prime example is Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard, now, yes, he throws 100 miles an hour. We get this. His average velocity in 2018 was 98.6, right? But his extension was about a foot and a half longer than the average pitcher. So that 98.6 actually gets on the hitter, and the hitter is envisioning or seeing approximately 101.3. Well, and this is a really important thing because because when we look at, you know, I mean, I think that you can build velo up to a certain point. And I think that it's just like a, you know, like a 500-pound back squat. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, it's like a, you know, like there's, there's a point where genetics come into play. Like I, I non-competitively powerlifted when I was in high school. Cause you know, I was like 148 pounds and five ten and a wingspan of a guy who's six one. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I wasn't benching with anybody, but I had a buddy of mine. The first time I ran into a guy that was just a freak mutant, like was, this was my buddy, Larry. And Larry could squat. You could just, what are you squatting today, Larry? I don't know. What did I squat last week? And he wouldn't even program it out. I mean, you could just throw the, you could just throw weight on Larry and he would just yeah. squat it. He wound up being a world champ. And so, okay. um, so for the rest of us people who aren't like that, there were not, well, I call those, I call those people mutants, you know, like, like if you make it to college, you're a mutant. You're just a low level mutant. You're not quite like upper, you know, upper tier mutant. And so, you know, we, a lot of that stuff has been taken away in the game because we don't have the ability to be, there's no, there's nobody left. That's, you know, El Duque was probably one of the last pitchers that used delivery, uh, his delivery to hide the ball a lot. So, you know, we don't yep. have Tian, we don't have Martial, we don't have uh, Vita blue. We don't have guys like that anymore that, that, you know, hide the ball for long periods of time because, uh, you know, uh, they'll get, they'll, they'll get run on. And so, so I think that, that that thing that you're just talking about there is so vitally important for guys that can't throw gas or like, you know, like elite level gas. You know, if yeah. they can get out, if they can sit 90, 92, 
man, and have just a little bit longer of a release, then, you know, they're, they're going to be perceived, like you said, maybe 93, 95. And that's a huge difference. Right. Well, and take, take my lefty, for example, right? He's 82, 84. He has that foot of extension yep. over average. He's now 84, 86, right? And, and at the junior college level, a left-handed arm that's perceived 84 to 86 in California, that's a competitive arm. Sure. As long as they're throwing strikes and mixing speeds, sure. that's a competitive arm. Yeah. Now, if you take that even a step further and you have a kid that's you know, 86, 88, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you have a perceived velocity of 90, 92, yep. that arm, even though the velocity may be down a tick, it plays up a couple miles an hour. Now you have a different level pitcher, yep. right? All and, and you didn't change anything necessarily. Right. You just understand that he's releasing the ball a foot out in front, which means it gets on the hitter that much quicker. Um, well, and, and, it's, and most likely too, he's delaying his shoulder a little bit longer. He's getting down the mound farther, so his mechanics are actually better, right? Because he's well, del- assuming the flexibility and the yep. stabilization is there. Yep. Assuming those factors are are, are accounted for, yes, one hundred percent. Because he's going to be more efficient as yep. long as the body can handle it. Yep. He's going to be more efficient. The arm's going to be able to come through on time. There's a lot of good things that happen from there. But, yes, you're right. I mean, and it comes down to, you know, because not every kid can do it, right? And it's, it's about being, being you know, uh, flexible, having the mobility, having the strength to withstand that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Um, in order to do it. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. But, yes, if a pitcher can increase their, their extension and get the ball out in front without sacrificing anything else – it is super advantageous for that player to do so. Yeah, that's that when yeah, when I saw it and it been I obviously I haven't thought about it at the level that you've thought about it because I'm not immersed in in the technology all the time like you are. It was it's really cool to kind of hear that difference from you too as well because in my head that's what I thought because I mean, not that Randy Johnson didn't throw gas because he did. But what was the thing that everybody said about him? He just felt like he was, and obviously he was 6'10" But I mean, there's been there were other guys that were as tall as he was that didn't get the same reactions that threw reasonably hard. Mark Langston threw hard when he was, you know, when he was when he was trying to make it right. Like he threw hard, but nobody had that. Or like Scherzer. Scherzer is another great example of that, right? Like you hear guys talk about Scherzer, and there's like he's just on top of me, right? Yeah. And, and so so yeah, the longer that you can delay that, it's it's. It's it's the art of pitching, which is which is why I was super excited that you were would agree to come on with me because I love talking about this stuff. Well, in the art of pitching, in my world, the art of pitching is about creating abnormalities. Yep. Yep. Right. And the the more abnormal you are, as long as you're throwing strikes and competing in the zone, typically the better you are. Yep. Right. Now, obviously, there's there's outliers to that. There's exceptions to every rule, but. In baseball, for the most part, if you are more different than everyone else, you tend to have more success. So you take somebody like a Randy Johnson, who's got you know a forty-foot <laughs> wingspan. Yeah. His, when he releases a ball on a left-handed batter, it's starting behind him. Yeah. Right. How many left-handed batters today see that on a regular basis? Nope. Not that many, right? So yes, Randy also possessed a ninety-five mile an hour fastball. The difference was is that 95-mile-an-hour fastball came out of a slot that nobody sees yep. except for once a month, once every other month. Maybe you back up, you see Randy twice in your know, back-to-back series. But other than that, you don't see it every day. So the abnormality of who he was as a player and how he delivered the pitch set him apart on top of his mechanics, his pitch ability, and the pitch sequencing that he did. Like, there's so much more that goes into it but he was abnormal to start, which well, made him exceptional. You know, I, I, I cringe that I'm going to say this name because he played for that team in Boston. But can you imagine what Pedro would have done with this thing? Can, <laughs> no. Oh, oh, my God. Like, can you imagine how filthy it would have been? Like, oh, my gosh. To, to be able to do that, I, I, I would, it, it, it would have made the MLB even more miserable when he was pitching, right? Well, so him and Maddox, I yep. kind of I yep. put them in – Similar category. They're two different pitchers. They had two different styles, but they had uncanny movement. Yes. Right. And if they would have been able to understand it at a deeper level yeah. using something like this, yeah, where they could have quantified exactly what they were doing. Like Greg Maddox is a Hall of Famer. Sure. I think he would have been even more oh, yeah. of a Hall, like like a unanimous Hall of Famer. Yeah. Had he understood what he was doing, which I'm not saying he didn't understand what he was doing. No, for sure. Because he knew exactly what he was doing. 
but he would have been able to quantify it, yeah. which then would have given him the ability, the ability to make it even better. Yeah, he would have become, he would have been able to become, well, this is a funny word to say this with Maddox. He would have been able to become more, you know, it would have been more predictable for him. He would have been able to become more consistent, right? Yeah. And, and I think yep. the other thing that, that you know, you, I, one of the things that, you know, young pitchers, they struggle with, with A, the confidence, you know, and then B, um, understanding what to do when things kind of fall apart. And, and, and that's the other thing I see with this thing is, is that, you know, the, the velo is cool and the spin rate is cool, but there's, there's, it's, it's giving you the ability to understand how you actually pitch. And also, like, when you f- start to fall apart a little bit, what is it that you're, fa- what is it that you're missing? And, and then how you get it back. And so, you know, what, out of, out of maybe one of every eight or nine bullpens, you feel like you got it all together, you know? So you're able to go through that those inconsistent times and start to see the what's consistent and what's consistently good, and then that allows yeah. you to keep that together a lot more. And and you know maybe even you understand the feel of what that is now and, and how to get it back. So I mean, in 20 years, and my so we we were talking before we started. My my son's 14. In 20 years, like the kids that have this type of technology, they're going to be just different animals. You know, because there's going to be all of this data that kind of comes with it. I mean, I, I see there's there's a couple things that I'm really excited about in, you know, in baseball. And, and this is one of those things, because I really feel like if if people really study the, the metrics of what they're getting, I think that pitching can get safer and also we can keep the velocity. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think that you know, with, with our technology, the way you're able to track and trend your performance, right? Um, from session to session, bullpen to bullpen, uh, flat ground to bullpen, yeah. uh, whatever that may be, we're able to track that performance for you in the app. And the nice part is you can see over time um, if your pitches are developing the way you want them to, right? Yep. So if you're charting pitches in our app, which we highly recommend that you do, it's going to break down the data by pitch type. So yep. you're going to understand what your what your spin rate and your spin profile looks like on your slider. Um, what what the average spin rate and velocity is on your fastball, right? What the average spin efficiency is on your fastball, right? Yep. And how all these things play in. We have those metrics. We have that data. We understand that you know certain metrics play well on certain pitches, and then other pitch types they don't. Spin efficiency, right? You want to have a really high spin efficiency on your fastball. Um, doing that creates more Magnus force, creates a little rise and a little ride on the ball. Um, conversely, somebody who takes spin off the baseball, you're going to create more run and sink. So, um, you know, understanding what you're able to do with the ball is going to help you, you know, down the road and help you along the way, improve your craft. And, and, and honestly, at the end of the day, having this information is giving you the why behind what is actually happening, right? As opposed to a coach, because that's, that's how I coached, sure. right? Like, hey, this is what I saw. This is what I felt. This is the change I think you need to make. And that's not always the most effective way to coach, right? Like, the, if the player doesn't understand what I'm saying or doesn't feel what I'm seeing, we're going to have a disconnect. We're never going to be on, be on the same page. So bringing something like this into the fold, where there's now an open conversation around the data, there's an open conversation around what I'm seeing, what the player is feeling, and then what the data is actually showing us, right? So now we, we marry all of that together, and it opens up this new line of communication between the coach and the player and the data. So now it's objective, but it's also with expertise, right? One, the player's expertise, hey, this is how I feel, this is what's going on with me, and then the coach, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm I'm catching on to. Okay, what is the data telling us? Let's well, talk about this all together. Yeah, and think about that. I just thought about that. So, I've I worked with um, a, a lot of soccer players in Michigan when I when I when we were still living there, and um, one of the one of the tough parts is um, the subjectivity of coaches, right? So now, and one of the things that's really hard for players is to go and, you know, I mean, like, I think the classic example is Sonny Gray, right? He, he was, he did, I mean, he was a great pitcher in, in Oakland and he comes to the Yankees and, you know, he just didn't, it just didn't fit him there. And then he goes to, you know, obviously he hooks up with his old pitching coach again, but goes to Cincinnati and looks like the, looks like the world beater he was in Oakland. And so 
the subjectivity of coaches. And also, I mean, you know, like you had an older pitching coach in Larry Rothschild. And, and he wasn't up on all of that stuff that they were probably doing in Oakland because Oakland's, you know, a relatively tech-savvy team. And, yeah. so, and so, like, for a kid to understand what right is for them, they still want to be coachable. But, man, you could go to a coach and, and a coach could have a, a, a completely different set of plans for a player. And this data gives them the ability to advocate for themselves, which is the most important thing. Not to say that coaches don't have players in, in mind, but also they have a job to do too, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and on, on, that, on that same note there, I mean, think, think about it. It's, it it's, it's happening now at the major league level um, more than we've ever seen it, right? And it's, it's players going out on their own. Finding you know professional hitting coaches, uh, you know Bobby Tewksbury is a good friend of DK, yep. right? And you, you've seen what he did with with players like Josh Donaldson, yeah. Chris Colabello, you know guys like that. There's there's plenty others, but there's two big names that that Bobby Bobby's worked with a lot. Um, and, and if you went to both of those guys and asked them, you know, what was their coach in the major league level telling them? It was something totally different. For sure. And and the hard part is is you have to walk as a player. You have to walk that fine line between one, not you know, showing up your coach or disrespecting your coach because he is investing time in trying to make sure. You but then there's also the other side that says, hey, look, Josh Donaldson, prime example, my hitting and swing philosophy doesn't mix with what you're trying to tell me. And my job is on the line. I need to, I need to one, respect you as a coach, but two, I need to own my own development yep. because if I don't own it, I'm putting it in somebody else's hands yep. and I don't want to put my career in someone else's hands. I want to have control of it. So there's a fine line yeah. at the major league level, minor league level that you have to walk Yeah. and that's going to trickle down too. But I think at the end of the day, if people understand that this stuff, this data, this information is here to help yes. and not, not hurt yes. you, it's yes. not here to hurt you. It's here to help. I think everyone will get on board eventually here and say, hey, look, we should be at least understanding and looking at the data and then marrying it with my coaching experience to see what jives and see what doesn't. So that way, at the end of the day, I can get the most out of this player without jeopardizing his career. Yeah, and I mean, think about, like, you had really nice success at, at the college that you were a pitching coach at. How much better would you have been with this data at helping your pitchers become the best pitchers they could be? Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have screwed up some of them. Sure. And, and that, and it's it's the God honest truth. I I, I think about it weekly, honestly, because sure. I I love coaching, getting out, working with players, helping them get better. When that light turns on, like that's that's my motivator. Yeah. But like I know for a fact that by not having this data, this information here over my shoulder, hindered players in my program that could have been successful because of it. Sure. Um, I just didn't have the access to it. I didn't have the knowledge for it. So looking back at my coaching career now, if I would have had this, it, it, I guarantee you I would have helped a couple other players along the way that I may have hindered in the process, not knowing everything that I know today. Well, the funny thing about it was, so I work with uh, uh, about five division one pitchers right now. And, um, my client that uh, brought this over a couple weeks ago, he said to me, he says, uh, he, he brought it out and we were looking at it. And one of the other guys, now these guys are 22, 21, 22 years old, right? Um, he was like, they, we started to play around with it. He started to play around with it. He's like, hey, let me see that thing. And he said, this, this, the other kid said, he goes, where is, where is everything that's in the ball? Because he's used to the old one from like you know 1927 that Got hit. Got little screen. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like the difference in five years. You know, I mean, ten years ago there wasn't a major league program that had stuff like this. You know, shit. Probably five years ago, if we're going to be brutally honest, you know, yep. uh, it was probably the guys that did have it were were cutting edge people, and they probably didn't even have all the metrics that you can get for this for ninety nine freaking dollars. Yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, when 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 my client told me, you know, what what how much it costs, I'm like, well, how much does that thing cost? And he goes, ninety nine bucks. I was like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, that's bananas. You know? Yeah. And, and that's that's the one thing that we're really proud of is is first and foremost everything is inside the baseball, right? Yeah. So, 
You charge it on that little thing right there, a yep. little lightning bolt. It's got a wireless charger. Don't hit it. Anybody out there, do not hit this thing with a bat. Right. Okay, throw it only. Do not hit it. You might break that. It'll cost you $100. Now you get yourself a $100 BP ball. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, the idea was is we wanted it to be as real feeling and as normal as possible, right? Which is why we shoved everything inside. There's no screens. That's yep. why we pair it to an app. Yep. Um, you know, the, the difference was is if, if this thing didn't feel like a real baseball, and, and unfortunately, the, the, the balls that we were just referring yeah. to in the past, they were that faux leather, yeah. kind of, you know, hey, we're going to build this for durability, yeah. and we don't want to break it. We, we took the other route. We said, look, we want a real-life, real-living baseball, flat seams, pro-college specs, because if it's not built like that, it's not going to be used at the top, right. and it won't be used at the bottom. Right. People will think it's just a cheap tool right. or a toy, right? Yep. So... Now we have the ability to capture spin metrics, velocity, things that the previous baseballs could not do. We now have the ability to do, and we're doing it at a price point that makes it affordable for the general public. Yeah, for sure. Um, other units out there that capture spin, that capture speed, all of the things that we do, the next best available system costs a minimum of $5,000 right. to get. Right. And does it is nowhere close to as portable as this item is. <laughs> sure. So, you know, having your cell phone in your pocket, the ball in your bag, you're connected. Like if you have those two things, you can go out and get spin data. You can go out and get your extension metrics. You can go out and get your velocity. You can chart your pitches, right? Yeah. There's so many, you can throw assigned bullpens. You can create your own custom bullpens. Yep. There's so many things that we can do with a hundred dollar ball that usually costs anybody else a minimum of four to $5,000, upwards of $20,000 to get. One of the other things that I really like about it too is as we've started to use it a little bit more, um, we're talking, uh, I'm talking about like kind of programming like, like uh, volume and load, right? Because I think of throwing max velocity like a, back squat, uh, like a heavy back squat or a heavy power clean or whatever it is. See, the nervous system doesn't know the difference between it. It's max, max effort. Now, the difference is, is that you're moving weight versus moving a, a, a light ball, but the nervous system doesn't know any different, right? That's why, you know, when you, the, when you throw hard, you build, you get stronger, right? I mean, like there's a, there's a correlation between that. But also, yeah. there's this really fine line between overloading the nervous system and, and potentially oh, like overtraining, if you will. I think that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a not very well-used term, but... Um, but allowing guys to start to track. Okay. So, you know, um, I was throwing at an RPE, I was throwing six to seven and let's say I started to notice my velo or my spin rate or my extension, whatever metric you're going to measure on that, uh, you know, around 40 pitches or 50 pitches or whatever the metric is, right. I started to fall off and started to lose it. Well, that's the end of your session. You don't need to go anything past that. Just like yeah. when you fail on a squat or when you when all of a sudden when the bar moves really slow, depending on what you're doing, you know, that's that's, you know, a time to end. Well, you, well, you don't you don't go do six more squats. after. Correct. That, right? But what happens with <laughs> but what happens with guys? They're like they're it's like running. Right. Like I, I've worked with a bunch of triathletes and I, I, I was like, look, here's the problem with triathletes. They don't know when to stop. So they run themselves into injury. And the, yeah. the, the, you know, I mean, not that, trust me, weightlifters aren't much better, but the difference between weightlifters and, and endurance athletes is the bar doesn't lie. When you can't move the bar any longer, you're done and everybody knows it. Yep. And so we need to yeah. have this, this conversation at a very low level, right? Where guys aren't just going out and throwing random, I mean, you can get away with it just like you can get away with that for the first six, to, six months to 12 months to maybe 18 months, depending on when you start lifting, Right. But like at, at a certain point in time, when you're maxing, when you're redlining all of the time, you can't get away with that. Like when, you, when you've hit your peak and now the peak is now two miles an hour, hopefully in the next year, not, not eight, because you're kind of in that, that intermediate to novice level. The data that we can get from this is, is just incredible. Well, dude, I got to tell you, I've got to run and I really hate to because we did not get into anything other than us running our mouth about how cool your ball is. And we didn't even look at any of the metrics of it. But um, I know you guys have some really cool stuff coming out uh, that we were talking about before we got on. Anytime that you want to come back on the show, man, and get into this, 
I, I mean, I could talk about this. We, we, we could have probably about a three hour conversation between yeah. you and I, I already can tell. So yeah. um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, like I said, you know, you're, you're my fourth episode of my podcast. All and right. so, so it's really cool to have a, what I consider to be an industry leader. I feel like you guys are industry leaders because you're so far ahead of everything else right now. And I think it's really cool. Tell people, if they don't know, tell people where they can get a hold of stuff at. Um, or, and also, like if, if uh, with coaches that may are seeing this that want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Kind of give the, where everybody can get a hold of you. Yeah, definitely. So first and foremost, if you guys need, if anyone needs more information about Diamond Kinetics, visit our website, diamondkinetics.com. Um, we are also right now, um, let's see, it's May 4th today. Uh, so for about the next 11 days, we are also offering uh, six months free subscriptions to our service. Sweet. So for any of your guys, yep. uh, Sean, that, that have the ball, that yep. are using it, we highly recommend to go get that now. If you guys go to our website, shop.diamondkinetics.com, um, you can pick those subscriptions up for free. They don't cost anything. You check out like you would as if you were buying something. Sure. Um, and then we'll send you an email with a code. You apply it. You get six months to our, our service for free. Nice. Um, so that's at shop.diamondkinetics.com. Uh, if there's coaches, players, anybody who has questions, um, my email address is kbennett, two N's, two T's, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, at diamondkinetics.com. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is Kyle Bennett DK and then, uh, Twitter is Kyle Bennett 85. So find me on there. I'm pretty responsive through social, Sean. Obviously that's how you and I got yeah. connected. Um, but if not guys, send me an email, um, coaches, we have special programs and discounts and offers for colleges, high school travel programs. Uh, we're actually launching a new travel program, uh, right now during the pandemic, a uh, sure. way for coaches to get product now and uh, pay for it over time. So there's some special stuff that we're doing right now to help people out while they're training at home. Uh, if you guys want to pick up one of these, you want to pick up our bat sensor, make sure to use the code HOME20 at checkout. You'll save $10, uh, you'll get six months free. Basically a ball is 90 bucks right yep. now, $90 on our site and six months free service. So if you want it, it's, it's a steal. Like that, honestly, a retail value on that's like 160 bucks. For sure. 160 bucks. Yeah. So it's, it's almost half off right now, but you got to act up until May 15th. Yep. Otherwise the subscriptions are gone. Cool. Well, dude, I appreciate you so much coming on. And I, and like I said, if anytime you guys want to come back on and chat again, I'd, I'd love to have it. And I'd love to get into more of the, the analytics and stuff like that. We can talk about. Yeah. What we'll have to do is we'll get on again and we'll, uh, we'll talk some spin rate stuff. I got you and I could sit here for another two hours just on spin rate. So sure. we'll have to bring that up another time, but yeah, let's get it done. Sweet, man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, not a problem. Yep, bye. Thanks for listening to Pitching Nerd Show. To grow the Pitching Nerd crew, do me a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me to get to better guests and more opportunities for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon.